Hello, you found Dogmatically Imperfect Condensed Imperfection, a condensed version of Season 1 episodes in a more digestible time frame. Today's session, Why Does the Bible Divide Christians? Each episode seems to provoke new questions, and these questions each have their own answers, and and you have the questions in your in your mind the same way that I do, and I trust that the way that the Lord speaks to me, when God speaks to me and answers those questions, I think he does the same thing for you. And you know, and you take start to take the time to notice the things that you used to overlook or consider as not important. But when God begins to illuminate, we see both the beauty that we once overlooked and the things in our life that have hindered us become uncovered. And once we are made aware of these things, we face new choices on how to move forward. When we start measuring our belief system against the scale of steal, kill, destroy, right, versus life more abundantly, we start to see things differently. Things we used to believe become clearly seen as rooted in steal, kill, destroy. And we have to let go of that part of the dogma. You know, in the city where I live, right around the corner, um, there's a, a Baptist church right next to a mosque. Uh, the Baptist church has been there for a long time, and then and then there's this little piece of property behind the Baptist church, and uh, they built a mosque there. It's just this little tiny piece of property, uh, and the church is on a much larger piece of property and has a sizable parking lot. Well, several years ago, I noticed that on certain days, the church parking lot was full to capacity, but there wasn't much happening at the church. And, but as I drove by... I noticed the parking lot area in the mosque was also at capacity, and it dawned on me. Somewhere along the line, the leadership in the mosque met with the leadership of the church, and they came to an agreement to let people, the people that are attending mosque park in the church parking lot. And I'm going to tell you, seeing this bothered me, right? Kind of like it bothers some of you just hearing about it. It just hit me wrong, man. Why are we letting all these people go into the mosque, park in the church parking lot? Let them, you know, let them find a different way. to. They can carpool or something, but we're not going to lend to them. Why would we encourage their false belief system? But now when I drive by and I see this, I see it as a step towards recognizing the them as the us. The them is the us. And it's a beautiful thing to see. The Omega view allows me to embrace the gesture of kindness rather than cling to an idea that is rooted in destroying, right, an enemy of God. The wisdom of embracing life more abundantly is the very heartbeat of God as seen in the person of Jesus Christ. And that's what we're going to talk about today, an infinite God and the concept of wisdom embraced versus wisdom violated. And we're going to take a look at Romans uh, in the first chapter from verse 18 to 25. So if you have your Bible and you're in a place to read it, go ahead and turn there. As always, if you're driving, you know, don't violate wisdom just to follow along, right? Chaos will ensue. Um, and that's going to make a lot more sense as we continue here. But you know this to be true. So as I was reading this passage the other day, um, a thought struck me. And any reference to God in the passage, I insert the word wisdom or truth. 
and any reference to a steal, kill, destroy concept, I replace with the words the the words with a capital, right? Capital D for deception or capital C for chaos. And when I did this, I'm telling you, the Omega view lit up like a star in this passage. So as you see and hear this, follow along. It's going to make some things a lot more visible from a new light and perspective. Okay, and here we go. And actually, <clears throat> what I'm going to do is I'm going to read from uh, the OGV, Romans 1, 18 through 25 in the OGV. Someone said, what's OGV? The Original Goodness Version. Okay, so I've got my little paper here. Uh, I have I have my original script, right? <laughs> original script here in, in the uh, sacred text. And then I have my... I printed out uh, the OGV here, and it actually says that. I don't know if you read that. It says OGV, right? Right there. Cool. So, verse 18. For chaos is revealed by truth. Wait, wait. <laughs> okay. For chaos, for those of you listening and weren't watching, I didn't have my glasses on. I had to grab my glasses. Okay. So, for chaos is revealed by truth against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness, because that which may be made known of wisdom is manifest in them, for, tr for truth has made chaos perpetually visible in them. Think about, listen, think about the people that you know that are mired in chaos. They're just mired in the chaos. And you know what that looks like. We all know what that looks like. And it's, again, truth has made chaos perpetually visible in them. Verse 20, for the invisible things, the outcome of wisdom or the outcome of deception, the invisible things of truth from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even the eternal power of truth and wisdom, so that they are without excuse. Verse 21, because that, when they knew wisdom, the deceived glorified wisdom not as truth. Neither were they thankful, but they became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Verse 22, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the incorruptible truth into an image made to a corruptible man, and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Verse 24, as a result... Wisdom allowed deception, capital D, to produce chaos, capital C, in their lives, causing them to violate their own bodies by violating wisdom and allowing the dysfunction of the chaos to influence their decisions rather than embrace wisdom, who is forever blessed and a blessing. Now, there are several key concepts in this passage that align with the thoughts I've been positing so far. And I think they're really self-evident, although, although they are completely different than how we've been trained to look at this passage. But before we dive into this, I have, you know, some might call it a rabbit trail, but to call it that would be to diminish the importance of the subject. And one of the ways that my original reading of this passage contributed to my thinking process is derived from verse 20. And I'm just going to read verse 20 in the regular, uh, in the regular old uh, <laughs> approved version, right? Verse 20, 
For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. So that they are without excuse. My traditional understanding of this verse leads me to consider the complexity of creation itself. This is clearly seen. When we consider what is clearly visible, it testifies of God's infinite and eternal power. And people don't have any excuse about whether they should heed God's instruction, right? So, in other words, so when I'm looking up and I see trees and mountains and oceans and streams and, and all the things, and then I look beyond that and I see, uh, you know, not to mention animals, birds, you know, and, and uh, all the creeping things and all those things, right? And then I look beyond that to the sun and the, sto- the, the moon and the sky and the stars and all that kind of stuff. Um, you can't possibly, you don't have an excuse. You have to understand that there is something larger at work here, right? And you should heed whatever the larger thing is. And the first part of this idea is very powerful. In fact, so powerful, it calls into question my understanding of the second half of the verse. The eternal power of, of, of the creator is so infinite that there's no way that we could possibly comprehend the slightest bit, right? The slightest bit. We couldn't possibly comprehend it. And this is really interesting. I just watched this little YouTube video. It's about, it's called, in the, in the title it has, Infinity in Five Levels. And it's this really smart professor starts by talking to an elementary, and they're talking about uh, infinity. And he starts by talking to an elementary student, then a high school student, then a college student, then a grad student, and finally an expert mathematician about the idea of infinity. And when you get to the very top of the field, when the two experts are talking, you know what they say? And I'll put a link in the description, right? Because this is incredible. The experts all have different ideas. It's so very complex that the smartest people can agree on not just an answer, but how do we even approach the idea of an answer to infinity? One thing, infinity. Does that sound familiar? Lots of different ideas about something so infinite they can't even agree. Does that sound familiar? Of course it does. And, but these people can actually understand the universal language of God, right? Mathematics and physics. And the language is so very complex that there isn't a way to come up with a concrete answer. And this is the beginning of the answer. To admit that you don't have it and you can never hope to get it. At least you're on the right track, right? You go as far as you can see, and when you get there, you'll be able to see further. But we all see in part, and we all know in part, Paul says. Paul is saying, look, I see in part, I know in part. These letters I'm reading are partial knowledge. It's not total knowledge. We know in part. We prophesy in part, right? While we're here on this planet, we don't have all the answers. Not even this book has all the answers. So to presume that we absolutely know God's instruction by reading an ancient text of humans who still thought God was setting up an earthly kingdom through Israel, we've been deceived. Somewhere we've accepted a miscalculation as an absolute truth, and it's fractured believers into countless opposing factions, each claiming to be correct, right? Making everybody else wrong and the object of God's wrath.
Listen. God sent the Hubble in the person of Jesus Christ. And when we see his actions, not the words that are put in his mouth, but his actions, we get the clearest glimpse of who God actually is. And all we have to do is look up. up, And we know we can't comprehend the first thing about who God is. The things we, we can't see say infinite volumes of how little we understand God. We believe Jesus told his disciples to love others the way he loved them. But we turn on the news, right? And we condemn every person on the screen. Let's not count the commercials or the movies or any of that kind of stuff, right? We got a lot to say about everything on TV, but we don't know how to love the way Jesus loved. Let's try not to remember that we're judged according to the measure we judge others. Not me. I'm, I'm in the exempt group, right? Grace exempts me from being judged according to the measure that I judge others. So look, that was my little rabbit trail. And this, and it really isn't a rabbit trail, but it is a rabbit trail for, for what was, but it all fits, right? So, but now it's time to talk about wisdom embraced versus wisdom violated. And every episode, okay, we're shifting gears. Every episode, I say not to watch the video if you're driving, right? Don't open your Bible and follow along if you're driving. Don't violate wisdom. You're going to end up wrecking. That's chaos. And maybe you chuckle, maybe you roll your eyes, but you agree it's a bad idea not to violate, you know, it's a bad idea to violate wisdom, right? And you heard in this passage a translation that echoes this sentiment, right? I didn't translate these verses from the original text. I superimposed the concept over the concept we find from the translation that we have. This is not original text. My New King James, uh, even though it's super annoyed, it's not, it's not original text. And even if it were original text, this is just the guy's best idea on how to say it, right? This, he's not taking, you know, sten- he's not a stenographer. You know what I'm saying? Anyway, let's, let's, but, but my, but my uh, translation, the OGV, superimposes this concept over the other concept, even though they're the same concept. It's just a different way of saying the same thing. And what I want to discuss is how deception operates and what happens as a result. The ultimate desire of deception, capital D, right, is to displace wisdom. Think of the concept we have of God and Satan, right? Satan wants to become God, right? Displace God. And wisdom is another name for God. We know this, right? Truth is another name for God. We know this. Deception is another word for Satan, another name for Satan. And chaos is another name for what we like to, who we like to call Satan. And the most effective way for deception to alter truth is to use parts of the truth to veil the deception. The concept of my truth or your truth, right, is a deceptive concept. There is truth with a capital T, and there is untruth with a capital U, and it is the same for you and I. There is, however, my reality and your reality within the truth, right? Each person has their own unique experience within their own unique reality. Not even identical twins share a reality. It's our individual responsibility to navigate our realities with the truth as our course and wisdom as our guide. And when we violate wisdom, our reality veers from the truth, capital T, into chaos, capital C, and threatens our journey. 
Deception uses as little or as much of the truth as possible to impersonate wisdom. And when deception succeeds, truth becomes lost, and life suffers as a result. And I think, once again, it's very fitting for me to use my religious upbringing as a prime example. From the moment I could breathe, my reality was guided by a deception that used a portion of the truth. This is... This is a portion of the truth. So when I say a portion of the truth and hold this up, I'm not saying this is a portion of the truth. All of it is a portion of the truth. What I'm saying is there are portions of the truth contained in this. There is wisdom of God contained in this. But there is also a lot of human imperfect uh, understanding and uh, commentary, right, that's also contained within the Scripture. But the deception is that it is all the Word of God, and none of it, and none of it is human-based, right? None of it is flawed. That's the deception, that none of it is flawed. And I'm not saying that all of the Bible is flawed. I'm saying there are parts, because, because it is written by humans, by flawed humans, that there is no way that each and every one of those human beings was perfect when they wrote this down. They wrote stuff down from a place of imperfection, so that's the deception here. And the deception uses elements of wisdom to validate the deception. The true parts, the parts that truly are from uh, from an accurate description of, of what God is thinking, let me say it that way, the parts that are an accurate description of God's thought process, process that's being used to validate the rest of the deception. And by design, deception intends to embrace wisdom as much as possible to validate itself. And then the deception appears, cloaked in the validity of the embraced wisdom, where it supplants wisdom and begins to generate chaos. In fact, the concept of embracing wisdom is the key part of the deception that keeps, you know, it it keeps visible on purpose. Deception says, no, no, look at the valid part. 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 All while the same time feeding you, you know, a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down, right? But a spoonful of sugar also helps the poison go down. You understand what I'm saying? And this is a universal truth that not even deception can dismiss. Yes, we should all embrace wisdom. We should all embrace wisdom. That is the universal truth. And then the deception says, for I am wisdom right? Deception doesn't go on saying, ignore wisdom and embrace deception. Again, quite the opposite. Deception says, it's foolish, dangerous even, to violate wisdom. So don't be a fool. Avoid danger. Again, for I am wisdom. This is the essence of my religious upbringing. Do not violate the tenets of the faith. Deception. It's foolish to oppose our understanding of God. Moreover, it's dangerous. Eternal damnation to hell. To violate the faith. Deception. When the light illuminates the truth, true wisdom has free reign, not to dominate or exert control, but to give life freely and more abundantly. There's no more condemnation for those who walk in the light of wisdom. There's no more condemnation. The teeth of my religious upbringing are nowhere to be found in the light of of wisdom and truth. The reality is that The woman at the well was on her sixth man. But the truth also shared wisdom without condemning her. The reality is that Zacchaeus abused his position of power as a tax collector. 
The light of truth illuminated wisdom and did not condemn, but brought life to an entire household. The reality is that the woman was caught in the very act of adultery. But the truth illuminated the faults of everyone in the crowd. And wisdom did not condemn any of them, including the woman. Light illuminated wisdom and brought life. Shall we continue? In each of these events, wisdom instructed people to stop violating wisdom. They each knew in their own knower what, what, what parts of their life were violating wisdom. Was it a difficult thing to do? Yeah. In almost every instance, yeah. And our lives are a mixture of wisdom and violated wisdom, right? Violating wisdom causes painful events. And the longer we remain in violation, the greater the pain we endure and, the, and, and we inflict on others. And, you know, many young people violate wisdom and create a child outside the optimal environment for creating a successful, less dysfunctional family. Said another way, allowing wisdom to guide us allows children to avoid many types of dysfunction. And if we're going to use today's terminology, some children are underprivileged while others are privileged. This is a result not of the system in place, but the choice of the parents, uh, the child's parents in relation to wisdom. Wise parents set their children up for greater advantages. Children of unwise parents have many additional obstacles in life, don't they? Now, of course, systems create environments and environments impact the wise choices available. And this is also related to violated wisdom and setting up uh, of the system. Surely this can be understood. The more layers of violated wisdom one has to overcome, the greater the chaos one has to navigate in life. Chaos is the fruit of deception. And if you find chaos in your life, it's a result of embraced deception. Light reveals deception and illuminates wisdom. Make no mistake, deception is the most active. It's the most active in the shadows. You know, this is where the disguise is most effective, right? If I hide my, if, if, if I've got shadows, let me see if I can get, make some shadows, right? Here's my line, here's my line. If I, if I hide some, if I create some shadows, right, you can't see me as clearly, right? And so I can potentially uh, put something in there that you won't recognize as, 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 as a deception. And once the illusion is embraced, darkness hides the chaos, while the chaos wreaks havoc, unseen and unchecked. And while this is taking place, deception actually uses the shadow to blame truth as the cause of chaos. And it's the same song, no matter where you find chaos. It's the result of violated wisdom caused by deception, capital D again, who uses the shadows to blame the truth. And you might say, well, I'm a faithful believer. I don't have any chaos in my life. Look, the deception has blinded you. There are people in your family who need the light to illuminate the truth in their reality without condemnation so that wisdom can begin to restore life. But you've consecrated yourself from anyone who is a sinner because you've been taught that bad company corrupts good character. And you're more afraid that you might end up in hell if you rub elbows with the them. You know, hey, look, it's on them to come to us. You know, the Holy Spirit's the one that calls. Look, you are an instrument of, you should be an instrument of healing and love. What, what fear does the light have of the darkness? 
What fear? This is the shadow that deception is using to keep the light from shining in our lives and revealing wisdom to us all. And I say no more. No longer can I withhold the light and allow the shadows to remain where deception can cause chaos in the lives of those we love. We must identify the deception and allow wisdom to guide us away from the chaos. There's one God. God's not mad. We're created in the likeness and image of God. Let us love one another. Hear this. You guys know the scripture. For love is of God and anyone that loves is born of God and knows God. There's no qualifier there. Jew or Gentile, anyone. Well, you know, not the other political party. Yes, the other political party too. We're all deceived with a capital D on some level. We were all raised in a level of violated wisdom and it creates chaos. And if you see chaos in the other political party, it's the fruit of deception. Jesus doesn't condemn victims of deception. Jesus doesn't condemn victims of deception. One more time, for those of you in the back of the room that didn't hear me. God doesn't condemn victims of deception. If someone puts horn implants in their head, paints their body green, and slices their tongue down the middle, we can see chaos has has convinced them that they're a lizard. And you and I know they're not a lizard. We understand they've been deceived Chaos has done great harm to this person who has been deceived into thinking they're a lizard. God has compassion for such as these, the same way that God has compassion for you and your deception. God's not going to reward chaos by further punishing the deceived. Yeah, but the wages of sin is death. Of course. But did Jesus sin? No, he died. Did the leaven die on the cross? With Jesus? I mean, what is the gift of God? The gift of God is eternal life. Just as we saw in our Lord Jesus Christ. Everywhere the light shone, shone people awakened to, the, to eternal life. And Jesus, Jesus wasn't bestowing salvation one by one. People awakened to the goodness of God one by one. Look at Saul of Tarsus, right? What changed him? Did his zeal change? No. Did his love for God change? No. Did his love for Israel change? No. None of those things, right? God illuminated the fact that Gentiles are included in the group. The group isn't exclusive. And so since both Jews and Gentiles are included, let's stop violating wisdom together. When we do this, we eliminate chaos. (sighs) Look, I got to stop here. Okay, I have one more thought to drop on you and then I got to stop. According to our Christian understanding, what is the most basic purpose of the Bible? Think about the Ten Commandments. And I'm going to go through this quickly. The Ten Commandments is a microcosm of the Bible as a whole. And what do the Ten Commandments help us determine? What we should and shouldn't do. Correct? Right? So the Ten Commandments gives us knowledge of right and wrong. What else will we call right and wrong? Good and evil. Think about this. Every denomination derives their teaching from the same place. Right? We argue over which part is evil, you know, which evil is worse and which good is gooder. And each one is convinced that the other 500 denominations are wrong, right? The remnant keeps getting smaller and smaller. And it all comes from the same source. Is God a God of confusion? 
Absolutely not. Do we really think God wants thousands of denominations? Is that God's idea? No. In the garden, God instructs humanity to not partake of the knowledge of good and evil. And what did humanity do? We created a source that gives us knowledge of what's good and evil. I want you to think about that again. God in the garden said, don't eat of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. And then we made a source equal to God by calling it God's word. But every time we eat that fruit, we divide ourselves again and again. Some of you have sons and daughters that you won't even acknowledge, let alone speak to. Your knowledge of good and evil has caused the death of your relationship. Think about it. We haven't even learned how to keep the first commandment. Justin, are you saying we should eliminate the Bible? No, that's not what I'm saying. A thousand times no. I'm saying quit looking at this as God's instructional uh, instruction on what is good and evil. It's the record of humanity striving to understand God. It's not the basic instruction before be leaving earth, right? The B-I-B-L-E, yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the word of God. The B-I-B-L-E, basic instruction before leaving earth. Jesus didn't find fault. Jesus illuminated wisdom, chaos vanished, and life sprang abundantly. If you want to see the life spring up from your chaos, let love arise and cover a multitude of what we consider to be evil. Find the chaos in your life and invite wisdom to help you navigate out of it. Wisdom perpetuates itself. Deception perpetuates chaos. Think about what we know to be true and what we teach our children when they're young. Don't lie. Telling a lie requires more lies to cover the original lie. It perpetuates chaos, right? Hey, listen, it's a good idea to tell the truth. It's much easier to remember and it builds trust. It's a good idea. I'm running short on time. I'm going to read, uh, I'm going to end by rereading the passage again because you need to hear what Paul's recognizing. This is Paul recognizing, right? Not God speaking. God's not speaking about himself in the third person. You know, like Ricky Henderson. Ricky knows that Ricky's greatest of all time. That's not what's going on here. This is Paul telling us that, that what he's seeing at the point where he's at. We go as far as we can see, and when we get there, we'll see further. And at this point, this is what Paul's seeing. So let's just hear it again, okay? Romans 1, 18 through 25. And hopefully, um, I did it once already, and I've done it a couple times, but hopefully I'm better at it now, Okay. Verse 18, for chaos is revealed by truth against all ungodliness and all unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness, if I can get my glasses. Because that which may be known of wisdom is manifest in them, for the truth has made chaos perpetually visible in them. For the invisible things of truth from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. Even the eternal power of truth and wisdom, so that they are without excuse. Because that when they knew wisdom, the deceived glorified wisdom not as truth. Neither were they thankful, but they became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, right, displacing wisdom, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible truth into an image made like to corruptible man, made like to corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Well, what happened then? Well, as a result... Wisdom allowed deception to produce chaos in their lives, causing them to violate their own bodies by violating wisdom. 
and allowing the dysfunction of the chaos to influence their decisions rather than embrace wisdom who is forever blessed and blessing. Amen. Be not deceived. The divisions in the church are, re- are reflected by the divisions in our families. And two things you don't talk about at Thanksgiving dinner, right? Religion and politics. Why? Because it's rooted in the us-them deception. It divides us because the written word gives us the tool to divide. Listen, thanks for hanging out to the end. It's, it's really, truly a blessing. And if these sessions are creating questions, please drop them in the comments or email me. Um, I appreciate your time. And remember, always see the original goodness in others the way God sees the original goodness in you. See you next time. Dogmatically Imperfect with Justin Marson is a production of Original Goodness Media. Thanks to everyone who supports this podcast. If you want to become a supporter of the podcast, there are a couple ways to do that. If you want to support us financially, you can go to the website, originalgoodness.media. The other way to support the show is to share it with others directly or by leaving a review. If you have thoughts or questions that you would like to share, please send an email to yabud at originalgoodness.media. That's Y-E-A-H-B-U-T at originalgoodness.media. Make sure to search for the show on your favorite podcast and social media platforms. Special thanks to The Real Night Terror for our theme music. See you next time.